Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Thanks for being here. Memorial Sunday. This is the remnant, right? These are the faithful folks who are here. Uh, There's a bunch of other places you could be. You're here. I'm so grateful for that. My name is Tim. I've met many of you before, not all of you before. The last time I got to preach here, um, we were introducing a new couple from Michigan, and it was on their way to Murfreesboro to become your pastors. And so that was a good memory. I've said to Jeremy and Christy many times, like, the last time I got to go to your church, you were on these video screens, and now you're here, and so I'm glad I get to be with you today. They are in Colorado right now, and I am on my way to catch up with them on Tuesday. They were a crazy, a blessed enough to drive, um, and I am going to take an airplane because uh, I've done that drive before. That's insane. So anyway, I'm glad that they are there, that they're safely, and that I get to be with you today. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and take those out to John, the book of John chapter 18. And we're going to be looking together at a passage that is a little bit odd for the Sunday that we are in today, but it's going to hopefully make sense when we're all said and done here. I'm going to start reading John 18, starting at verse 28. Uh, Today is Ascension Sunday in the life of the church. It's when we remember Jesus ascending into heaven, his kingship, his lordship over all of creation. And oftentimes we read passages about, well, Jesus ascending into heaven on Ascension Sunday. That's not going to be the case today, but hopefully this will begin to make some sense as we walk through it together. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death that he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and the chief priests handed you over to me. So what is it, uh, what is it to you to have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason that I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone in the sight of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered there, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against this man, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner from the time of the Passover. 
do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shut it back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. This is the word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God. Okay, what are we doing reading this passage? Uh, John chapter 18, this story about Jesus and his crucifixion or his, his trial coming up to his crucifixion. It's an interesting passage because it begs for me some of the questions that I think are some of the most pressing questions that we as a people today are wrestling with regarding truth. I love Pilate's question in this passage. I absolutely love the fact that he asked Jesus directly, what is truth? Because it gives us an opportunity this morning to begin to reflect on this. Now, oftentimes when this passage shows up in the schedule, the preaching schedule, it's kind of just this ecclesial preaching schedule where churches across the world tend to organize their worship life around certain texts. When this text shows up, and we call it the lectionary, it's usually paired with another text in Revelation chapter 1. We're not going to take the time to read Revelation chapter 1 today, but Revelation, of course, the last book in the Bible, it's this bombastic, bigger-than-life, apocalyptic image of how God is making everything new. And Revelation chapter 1 begins with this affirmation. We are talking about the one who was and who is and who is to come. Now, everything that follows after that is this love letter to a church, because I think Revelation gets a bad rap, friends. I mean, it's like one of those most misunderstood books where people think that it's about like predictions and secret codes and all kinds of things. We're always trying to look at the book of Revelation, try to figure out like what's happening in history right now that makes the book of Revelation true. But I want to suggest to you that the book of Revelation primarily is a love letter to churches to help them remain faithful to the way that really is making everything new. In other words, it's a, it's a love letter to people who are living in the first century with the political and social winds against their face. And it's saying to them, look, it may not feel like the way of Jesus is really what's making the world new, but it is, so stay faithful to it. I know that it's hard for you Christians, to align yourself with Jesus because of how strange He is, how odd His way is, especially when you stack it up against the way of Rome and the, the Roman government. That's a really difficult place to stand because I know that it's costing you your jobs. I know that it's hard to raise your family when it's so out of step with Roman society, but don't give up on this because this really is what God is doing to make everything new. And so what begins to happen when we look at John's gospel then is that passages like Revelation are beginning to function in the background. John is writing to tell Christians how Jesus is making everything new. If you want to look back with me at John chapter 1, this is kind of a fun, this is more like Bible trivia time, but I promise this is going to be good. Uh, if, it's, if you don't think it's good, um, I'm going to have the band explain it to you why it is so good in just a minute, but I'm just kidding. Uh, John chapter 1, if you look at the very first lines of John's gospel, hear these words, in the beginning. Now, what does that remind you of? It's okay, we're friends, you can talk. What does that remind you of? Genesis. It reminds me of Genesis. I'm glad it reminds you of Genesis because John is absolutely just ripping off the first lines of Genesis here. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, and I would read that from my Bible, but my son ripped out the first two pages of my Bible. I don't have Genesis 1 anymore. Uh, Genesis 1, in the beginning, and John begins in the beginning. It is clear that John is saying to us from the very beginning, if Genesis was telling us about 
how God made the world, created the world, I'm talking to you about how God is remaking the world or recreating the world. And what we begin to see here in John chapter 1, and this is so much fun, is this constant reminder all the way through. John, I'm not going to take the time to read this. You can do this at home today. This is really, really good, though, that every time John begins a new idea in John chapter 1, he begins it, and get this, this is so much fun, with the phrase, the next day. I'm serious. That's so fun. Anyone want to take a guess as to why that's so fun? What does that remind you of? The next day, the next day, the next day. Any reminders of that? What does that remind you of? Genesis 1, creation. Absolutely right. So that again, if Genesis is telling us the story of creation, what is John telling us the story of? New creation. It's the creation story over again. This is what God is doing to remake creation, to make creation new, to make it be everything that it's supposed to be. And where does the story in Genesis chapter 1 end up? In this beautifully organized, flourishing world where God is in the mix. And yeah, it says that God rested, but that doesn't mean that God just takes a nap. God's resting in Genesis 1 has this connotation of God dwelling with creation, resting with creation, so that God's presence with creation is making everything the way that it's supposed to be. So when John finishes his recreation story, the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, we get to this story in John chapter 2 where Jesus goes to the temple. Now that's important because for the ancient Hebrew imagination, the temple was constructed to be everything that God had intended all of the world to be. Sometimes biblical scholars will refer to it as a microcosm, a little world of the way that creation was supposed to be. So the idea is that when God instructs the people of Israel to build the temple, that they build this temple to be a little bit of the way that life is supposed to be even when the rest of the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. Even when the rest of the world is still impacted by fallenness, even when it's falling apart at the seams, there is the presence of God in the temple and this at least little outpost is going to be everything that it's supposed to be. It's organized, beautifully, structured, flourishing. And so the idea is that if you and I, we human beings, are being so pressed down and crushed and broken by the fallenness of the world, what do you do? You go to the temple and you spend some time dwelling in God's presence in this little world where everything is the way that it's supposed to be. The problem is, in John chapter 2, when Jesus shows up there, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. Jesus shows up at the temple in John chapter 2, and people have taken this beautiful microcosm, and they've started charging admission to be able to get in. And what is this doing? It is saying to the very people who need to spend time with God the most, the people who are most pressed down, the people who are most crushed by this old creation, the people who are having fallenness fall on their backs the hardest, the poor and the outcast, those are the very people who need to get in the most to be able to spend time with God. And what is being said to them is, you can come in here for a price that you don't have. So what happens in John chapter 2 is that Jesus shows up and the way that the temple is supposed to be is no longer the way that it is, and he fixes it, to put it mildly. He picks up a whip and he goes to work. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. He turns over the tables. He drives out the animals. 
He opens this avenue of flourishing between God's very presence and the people who need to connect with God's presence to be able to be remade. Jesus is making everything new. And this is the very incident that lands Jesus into this conversation with Pilate in John chapter 18. As a matter of fact, the other gospel accounts will tell us that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back for the Jewish leaders because they're looking at Jesus and what he's doing, and they watch him cleanse the temple, and finally that's it. They've had enough. He's gone too far. He's been too disruptive. This has been a tradition of ours for many, many years. How dare he do do this? And so the Jewish leaders begin to plot amongst themselves, and they go to Pilate, and they say, listen, our laws don't allow us to execute him but yours do. Could you help us out here? We'd like to be rid of this guy. And Pilate is, I think, pressed into this political moment because Pilate, let's be clear, is a Roman governor. He is not a Jew. He doesn't abide by the Jewish law. His job is to kind of keep the peace, the Roman peace, and still allow these Jewish people to have their worship practices, but now he's got this mess on his hands because they want him to do something that his laws don't necessarily allow for, and their laws don't allow for it either. So the the whole weight of the situation is being put on the people who are now trying to convince Pilate, if we're going to get this guy killed, we need to present Jesus as a threat to Pilate. Let's make him a threat not just to our way of life, but to his too. So they're whispering in Pilate's ear things like, do you hear what this guy is saying? He's talking about being a king. That's a threat to Roman power. Now we've got something to work with here, okay? Now we've got something to be able to get his attention that if Jesus is walking around saying, I'm a king, I'm a king, then we have an opportunity to maybe get this guy on a Roman cross before lunchtime today. Pilate isn't sold on this. And so he starts examining Jesus. He says that people are saying, you're the king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? And I love Jesus' response to this because he basically just looks at them and goes like, hey, Pilate, um, is that your idea or has someone else been whispering something in your ear that I am the king of the Jews? And Pilate responds, well, that's not an answer to my question. Are you the king of the Jews or not? Is this something that you are claiming to be? And Jesus is fascinating here because he says, look, if I were walking around saying that I'm going to be a king, my kingdom isn't like the other kingdoms. It's not like your kingdom. Because if I were saying that my kingdom is like this, my followers would be up in arms right now. They'd be fighting for me. They would be storming the walls of this place where you are trying me right now. That's not the kind of kingdom that I'm here for. But all the people who follow my voice are tuned into the truth because that's what I've come to testify to. And Pilate's question is so fascinating to me. I love this question. I don't know how he asks this question. In other words, I don't know the tone of his voice. I don't know if he's being snarky to Jesus or if he really is coming to Jesus with this genuine sense of curiosity. But Pilate's question back to Jesus is this, what is truth? It's fascinating. Because friends, um, I think this lands in us, in our time, in our society, in real ways. Aren't we asking similar kinds of questions about what the truth is? I get the sense the pilot is asking this because, um, well, Pilate is used to a political stance that wants to take truth and make the truth whatever it needs to be to support some kind of a political agenda. 
Does that sound familiar to anybody else in here? <laughs> Ooh, happy Sunday. Here we go. This is fun because this is not something that we have invented, friends. I know over the last decade or so, there have been a lot of political commentators and social commentators who have looked around our society today and said, we are entering into something we're calling a post-truth era. That We used to at least agree on some foundational kinds of things, and now that seems to be going out the window. The notion now is that you can just hold on to some propositions, and you can keep saying that thing over and over and over and over again until we just kind of build a kingdom around it. But friends, we didn't invent that. I think it's kind of funny to me that there are social commentators saying like, this is a new era that we're going to. It's like, no, it's not. This has been happening for thousands of years throughout human history. And it happened for Pilate. Pilate would have been incredibly familiar with this approach to truth, truth telling, building a kingdom around a particular version of the truth. As a matter of fact, if you go to Rome today and you go to the Roman Colosseum, right outside of the Roman Colosseum is this huge arch that's been uh, carved out of marble. It's been there since the time of Emperor Nero. Nero was an emperor early on in the Roman Empire who had this thing carved to tell the quote-unquote truth about his kingship as the emperor. And oh boy, does it look good for Nero. It shows all of his victories that he's won, all the battles that he's won. It shows him coming back in this like victory. It shows him like taking stuff from the Jewish temple and returning it to like, all of these things that he did, all of his accomplishments. It's like his resume carved in marble right there. It doesn't tell anything about any of the bad stuff that he did, like the burning of Rome. Nothing of that is on there. It tells you his version of the truth about who he is so you can continue to build a kingdom around this. And Pilate, I think, is going to be incredibly familiar with this kind of an approach. You tell the truth that you need to be able to advance your cause. I, I, I think this is, in some sense, landing on us today. Um, I did not know when the Selvages asked me to be here today that we would also be, in some sense, as a Christian community, trying to figure out what in the world we do with another senseless act of violence in our country against kids. Um, already the machine has started. You've probably seen it. I don't know that I can handle any more of this. That you've got one side that's saying like, well, here's the truth. The truth is, is we got too many guns. And if that's the truth, then we can kind of remake the world around that truth. Here's the proposition. That's the proposition. Let's remake the world that we want to live in around this. And then you've got another side saying, that's not the truth at all. Let me tell you the truth. Here's the truth. The truth, this is a more of a mental health crisis in our country. It has nothing to do with the firearms. We're just going to do these kinds of things. And you see these sides that begin to vie for a proposition that remakes the world. Are you following me on this? And we, we the church, friends, we get caught in the middle of this. It's almost as if we are being pressed into which proposition do you agree with that can be used to remake the world in certain ways. And I'm okay having the conversation about what really is the best way. I'm not trying to shy away from that or try to spiritualize that away, not for an instant. What I'm saying is we are living in a moment right now where there are propositions and people are fighting about what the truth is that remakes the world. This has been happening for years. Pilate knows if he can just tell a version of the truth, you can build a kingdom on that. And so he's examining Jesus. Jesus, all right, let's do this. You want to be a king? Tell me the truth. What is truth? 
Because we know how kingdoms get built, don't they? You advance a proposition. You say a thing, you speak a version of the truth, and then you can start building a kingdom around that that goes to battle against all of the other kingdoms and their versions of the truth. Friends, can I suggest to you that there is another way? That we Christians don't have to get caught in the battle of propositions to make a kingdom in our own image, to say, here's the thing that I want to be true, and I'm just going to set, settle everything around that truth, hold on to it so tightly, and go to battle against the other people, including, and here's the part that breaks my heart, the people I worship with in my own church. That we are in a moment where churches are being ripped apart by this kind of truth-telling, so to speak. God help us. And so here's... I think the good news of the gospel is that Jesus looks at Pilate. Pilate's looking at Jesus. Pilate finally, and again, I don't know if he's saying this in a sarcastic tone, what is the truth? What is truth, Jesus? Come on, be honest. You know truth, right? Like you're here to testify to the truth. We know the truth. It's just the kind of this thing you can build a kingdom on. And Jesus looks at Pilate and says, you don't get it at all. Now, I don't want to put myself in some kind of place of superiority here because, friends, I don't think I get this half the time. I'm not going to look at Pilate and say, oh, he was just so blind to this because I think I need Jesus to confront me with this as well. What is truth? Because here it is. I, I wonder, I do wonder that if Pilate would have been around Jesus' ministry a little bit longer, maybe he would have asked a different question altogether. Maybe if Pilate would have been there the day that in John chapter 6, a crowd gets really excited about how Jesus is feeding a bunch of people, and they go, this guy feeds us. Let's make him king. And so they forcibly come, and they try to install him as the king on the throne, and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. And he slips out of the crowd and moves on his way, like moves out of their grasp. Maybe if Pilate would have been able to see this, he would have asked a different kind of a question. Or maybe if Pilate would have been with the people... When Jesus was teaching them and Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice and they listen to me, he would have asked a different kind of a question. Maybe it is that Pilate, if he would have been with Jesus that night that Jesus was with his disciples and John tells us that the Father had placed all power into Jesus' hands and Jesus took that power in his hands and the first thing he did with it is wash the feet of his disciples I wonder if Pilate would have seen that if he would have asked a different kind of a question. I wonder if Pilate would have been there when Jesus was speaking to his followers, especially Thomas there in chapter 14, when Thomas said, I want to know the way, and Jesus responded back to him and said, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. Maybe Pilate would have asked a different set of questions. Maybe if Pilate would have had access to the book of Revelation, it's, he would have asked a different set of questions, not what is truth, because remember the book of Revelation from the very beginning tells us that everything that God is doing to make the world new is not centered around a what the truth is, but around who the truth is. The one who was and who is and who is to come. And so maybe it is the Pilate could have seen something very different standing in front of him, not asking Jesus, what is truth? As if it's just some set of propositions we have to agree with in our heads to be able to build a kingdom on, but to say, no, 
Who is the truth? Pilate, the truth is standing in front of you, and his name is Jesus. And so, friends, for those of us who follow this Jesus, I think that this gives us good news because like I, the conversations that I have so many times with young adults and people who are working out this Christian faith in a, in a highly charged developmental stage of life are starting to ask me questions like, I don't even know what the truth is anymore. What do I have to agree with? to be able to be considered, like all these things, these ideas that I thought that I held when I was a kid, like now as I'm entering into adulthood, they're all starting to swim and swirl and I'm not sure what I have to agree with anymore. I, I can't hold the truth in the same way that I used to when I was 10, 15. Sometimes I want to say to people asking those kinds of questions, it's never been what the truth is. It's always been about who the truth is. And the truth is Jesus. And so maybe it could be for people like us, people who show up to church on Memorial Day weekend. Maybe it could be that in some sense we don't necessarily have to just hold on to a set of facts and propositions and build a kingdom on those. Rather, we look at Jesus and we confess, you are the truth. Not just I have to say some things about Jesus, but you yourself are the truth that is making everything new. That it may be that I could even let go, hold a little more loosely these sets of propositions that I have held on to for so long because I have found Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. My hope is that this is the goodness of the gospel. That maybe the kinds of kingdoms that we build aren't around our propositions, aren't around the things that we just happen to agree with to build the life that we want. But part of what it means, friends, to follow Jesus and to have the freedom of life that comes with following Jesus is to say, I'm going to let it all go, and I'm going to follow the one who is the way and the truth and the life. He himself is the truth. The band's going to come and we're going to sing a few more songs today, and it may be that you want to enter into a moment of prayer today to prayerfully reflect on these realities, that maybe truth for me for far too long has been about things I agreed with, and Jesus has been reduced to one of those things. Maybe it's time to make Jesus the king, that he himself is the truth, and that all of our life begins not to be arranged around some things that we agree with, but around who He is, that we devote ourselves entirely to the truth of who Jesus is, how Jesus lived, the way that He is guiding us, the way that we are organizing our lives around who the truth is. So that maybe in all of this, we don't have to be like Pilate. Maybe in all of this, we don't have to reduce the truth to a set of just notions or ideas and then go to battle defending them, but that we follow Jesus faithfully as he makes all things new for us. Thanks be to God. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you would like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org. Thanks again for listening.